felt like you don't know what you want to do for a living? Have you ever felt like you look around and everybody else around you has it all figured out? Like they have the degree, they have the good job, and they just are on the path to success in life. Have you ever felt like you are the only one in your friend group or in your peer group or in your family who doesn't have it figured out, who has no idea what they want to do for a living. But deep down inside, there is this fire and there's this passion and there is this desire to do something more with your life. Maybe you want to change the world. Maybe you want to serve in a third world country. Maybe you just want to see your own community right in your backyard come together for a greater cause. Whatever it is, a lot of us have these desires within us. And maybe your desire is just to be a really great employee at a company. Maybe your desire is to start your own business. I don't know what that looks like for you, but haven't we all been through those moments? I know I have. Welcome to Business with Purpose. My name is Molly Stillman, and I'm your host. Each week, I bring a guest on this show that is an entrepreneur, a business owner, a nonprofit director, or somebody who is using their professional career and what they do for a living to impact the world and make the world a better place than they found it. We have real, raw, and honest conversations about what it looks like to build a business that is doing good in this world. And my hope and prayer is that you leave this episode feeling inspired, encouraged, and giving you some practical ideas for how to go out and change the world. My guest this week is Kelsey Pitney from Elegance Restored. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Kelsey. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Hi, how's it going? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm just getting a break from kiddos today doing my job now. So I'm doing good. I'm right there with you. So I totally feel you. I know. I I literally took my kids to a drop-in daycare center because that's sometimes that's just how you roll. Like if you don't have anybody to help you watch your kids, sometimes you're just like, here, go to this place where I will pay them an exorbitant amount of money for them yeah. to watch you for an hour and a half. It's totally fine. That's um, incredible. I, I didn't know that was a thing. I need yeah. to do that. You guys don't have, because you're on the West Coast, right? Yeah, we're in Oregon. You guys so don't have drop, like, drop-in daycares? Uh, I, you know what? I must just have my head under a rock because it's we're just down the street from Portland. I, mm, there's got to be there has something to be going one. on there. There has to be one. They're usually... They're they're usually a little bit on the expensive side. You can buy packages, like so you can buy, at least okay the ones around here. You can usually buy packages of like, you know, a hundred hours or something like that. I don't know. And then like they get cheaper the more hours you buy. But if you go just like everyone, for me, we don't use it enough for me to really warrant buying like a large package. But mm-hmm. yeah, it always ends up being just a ridiculous. Like it would be cheaper to just get a babysitter. But sometimes it's just really hard to get a babysitter. Totally. So, you know. Totally. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> that's not what we're here to talk about. But that's okay. Uh, you know what? That's <laughs> what I love about this show is just sometimes you just talk about random things. Um, so Kelsey, I. I am so excited to hear your story because you and I connected a few months ago. I have been following Elegance Restored for a while. I, you know, I love your shop. I love your heart. I love your mission. Um, And I feel like I say that a lot on this show, but it's true. (laughs) And um, just the more I've connected with you, I just, I, I feel like you're one of those people that like, if we were to hang out in real life, we would instantly be BFFs. So with that... I would love for you to share the Kelsey 101. So tell us your story. Tell us how, you know, what you've done in life that has ultimately led you mm. to where you are today. And for also for those that don't know, tell us all about Elegance Restored and what that is. Cool. Well, that is a mouthful of a question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I will start out telling you a little bit about Elegance Restored and then I'll go into my story. Sounds um, great. Uh, we are a online only currently online only shop. Uh, We see ourselves as a boutique on a mission. And what we have in our shop is mainly items for women. And we source most all of those products from at-risk people groups. So uh, people that are living in poverty, people that don't have access to fair jobs readily, um, and people who are coming out of human trafficking. We Mm. also have groups that are um, like some women that are living with HIV in Kenya. It's hard for them to get a job because of their stigma, the stigma of the illness there. Mm -hmm. And um, so we just try and seek out products like that. We notice that there's a lot of 
products out there. There's a lot of organizations that are doing good and they're mm-hmm. creating these programs where they're actually producing products that are wonderful products, but they don't really have the gifting for marketing or customer service or they, that's not their, that's not what their strong point is. Mm-hmm. So we see an opportunity, we saw an opportunity to sort of be that go between and then also use that platform to create awareness and also start funds for adoptions. Mm. So we donate 10% of our profits towards uh, funding adoptions. That's amazing. That is amazing. I love that you found a need or you found a, um, an area that you want to help and you're just focusing on that, hyper-focusing. And I, I really, I think that's awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Well, and so I will tell you our story a little bit or my story. Um, And it's as I was like thinking about this, because I figured you were going to ask this. You ask all of your um, guests this question, which I really enjoyed listening to your podcast. Oh, thank you. And it it goes back really far. And I love so I I was really excited to be on this podcast because uh, we are not like a openly we don't openly put it out there that we are a Christian company, though I am a follower of Jesus. Yeah. And um, so I was excited about getting to talk to the about talk to somebody that actually wanted to or was open to hearing about the faith side of it. Oh, so, absolutely. So, um, yeah. How did we start? We my story goes way back to um, probably I want to say when I was eight years old and became a Christian. I, I think there was something that had happened with, in our family where life just got real all of a sudden. I think somebody died mm. and I was just like, oh, my gosh, your life is hard. You live and then you die. What? And yeah. you work, you do hard things in between. And oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? Yeah. So I talking to whoever I thought God was at the time, which wasn't, didn't really know very much, but I was just like, Hey, if you're God and you can do everything that God claims to do, you can make me a superhero. Mm. And that's what I want to (laughs) be. There you go. Yeah. Right. Shoot for the moon. And, um, so I believe that that's what has put this strong desire in me to, uh, help the needy in the world. And, um, and create freedom for people that don't have it is because I believe that that's what God's heart is, is, uh, for us to all have freedom and love. And, um, so yeah, then in high school, I got an opportunity to go to Brazil and serve, uh, on a missions trip in, uh, one of the poorest part of parts of Brazil that was just very poverty stricken, you Mm. know, people laying on the streets with infected abdomens and Mm. just like that type of gruesome picture. And it just changed me. There's something about seeing poverty firsthand that grips you. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so then after high school, everybody that I was friends with knew what they were going to do. And they were all enrolling in colleges that were like $80,000 a year. And I was like, whoa, I'm defective. I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I've right. been there. Yeah, totally. So I was like, well, I'm just going to do some like gap year stuff, do get some electives done. And I did our community college. And then I decided I wanted to go learn more about the Bible. So I went to a school in England called Cape and Ray. And wow. then after I got home, I was like, I well, in England. So I was dating this guy that wasn't really right for me. And I decided to ultimately give up on that. And because I was dating him because I was scared I was going to end up alone. Ooh. And Mm, um, that's preaching. I was, what, what, I, <laughs> I said, that's preaching. Been there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, I think that's something that many, many, many women deal with, especially in the church where it's like, Hey, I'm just going to settle for what God has or for what, for what's right in front of me, because I'm too scared to see what God has for me Yeah, to let go of that thing. So, um, I did the scary thing, I guess, and let go, which if you're thinking, if you're a young girl listening to this, it's, it's not that scary. God, God's got you. But, um, yeah, let go of that guy and came home and I started going to Multnomah Bible College and uh, was a journalism major there. So this is kind of where it gets into a little bit more of the story about why Elegance Restored is what it is. Yeah. Oh, and I I forgot to say in high school, I was I wanted to be a fashion designer. So that was my little dream then. And I'm a seamstress as well right now. Um, But anyways, back to college. I was a journalism major. My plan was to be a self-supported missionary, go and write about issues in the world of injustice and then like hopefully shed awareness and create funds for those situations. And then God did something that just threw, he he loves to throw wrenches in my life. Let me just tell you that is a theme (laughs) (laughs) for sure, which I'm sure everybody feels that way. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And he threw my husband in, uh, Mm. he 
he came home from basic training in the army for Christmas and we went on one date and then we talked for five months. We got engaged and then we got married three months later. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, moving right along. And, and that was amazing. It was like the hardest two years or five years of my life because my husband was deployed for mm. 18 months of those uh of those. And he was also gone on training and whatnot. But, um, that just really taught me a lot about what it's like to have uncertainty and not know whether your loved one is going to come home or whether they're safe or they're some, you know, and that's, I think that's a more common situation for people around the world and people that are in situations of poverty, things are a lot less secure. Yeah. And so I think that sort of made that more real for me. And, um, yeah. So then we had a we got out of the military, had a baby, and we had plans to adopt. That was our big dream. So we were planning on waiting three years in between the time that we had another child, and we were actually planning to move to Bend, Oregon. Um, and we had all these plans that we prayed about and thought they were great, and then uh, unexpectedly, unexpectedly, my dad passed away, mm. and uh, and the same. <laughs> that same week I got pregnant with twins oh well there you go <laughs> right yeah that's the wrench just yeah. in case you're wondering <laughs> yeah no I I yeah I can only imagine what kind of monkey wrench that was yeah yeah and um at the time I was actually running another business that I was uh we had this product that I was sewing these hats that were we called them not so chemo hats and they had a real human hair insert in them so they were four women going through a chemotherapy and that was sort of like taking off. And, um, we just like canned it because it was like, I mean, it was like getting hit by a freight train. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, we're the, the twins are two and a half years old hmm. and it was like, I started to, after this like hard, I feel like the deployments and then the last two years of well, three, four years of having babies, um, was just like, it was like the desert, you know? And then now I feel like we, we've come out of the desert and I was just like, what do, what do I want to be? Like, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? Yeah. And the superhero came back to me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I just started praying about it. I was like, God, what do you want me to do? And, um, one day actually, this is where we have like connections. Uh, that's kind of funny. Uh, one day my, uh, so I used to live in North Carolina. That's why. Oh, we have, right. So yeah, I used to live in Fayetteville. That's where we were stationed. And every weekend we would drive up to Raleigh an hour to go to church. So yeah, I'm familiar with your hood. That's awesome. But, <laughs> but yeah, right. And actually, um, so my this one of my husband's friends that lives in North Carolina, um, who owns a painting business, Nate Anderson, he um, called my husband and was just chatting with him. They catch up every once in a while. And uh, he told him about this shop that he just built out the interior for and that he was really excited. And it was actually the Flourish Market. Oh, yeah, with Emily. Yeah, totally. And um yeah, and they are they are a socially responsible shop doing good. And uh, he, my husband just told me about the conversation and I just, it was like a wall like just fell down. And I just looked at him and I was like, honey, that's the thing. That's, it's, it has all the things. <laughs> it has fashion, it has helping the needy it, and, and we can use it to fund adoptions. Yeah. So, so we immediately just like dove hard into it. It was like, yeah, it was, it was just amazing. And it's been amazing ever since. That so. is awesome. What a cool story and how it kind of all just came full circle of how, you know, as a child, you know, it's almost like, and I think you were kind of alluding to this, it's almost like you were, you know, the superhero desire is the, the metaphor for like, God, what what is the great thing that mm -hmm. you want me to do? What is the great thing that you created me for? And you know, it's it's almost like it's come full circle because here you are and, you know, all of the 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 things are coming into place. Everything is 
you know, all the things are firing, if if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's like oh, the, I mean, it feels the, like it totally feels like um, God just prepared everything. Yeah. I wish I could tell you all the like coincidences. And, and also it, it was perfect, too, for I mean, I needed my husband. I needed to marry my husband to be able to do this because he has an MBA in marketing and business. And he spent time at Nike in their like highest division of Nike Global Running um, and learned a lot of marketing techniques from that. And so and, and his heart is also like both of our hearts have always been for the discarded of the world. We, mm-hmm. We've always planned on doing business as missions, um, but never knew how that would flesh out. We sort of just like left that up to the Lord. And then when this idea presented itself, it was like, oh, my gosh, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> I love the way that you just phrase that business as missions. And that is something that I mean, that's a huge, huge part of what this podcast is about. And what my goal was in starting this podcast was showing people, whether you're a consumer, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're, you're, you know, you're a creative, whether you're a nonprofit director, whatever it is that you do that you can do what you are doing for a greater cause, for a greater purpose, for yes. a mission. And, yeah. you know, if you're listening to the show and you're not a Christian, that's okay. Like that yeah. is that, you know, I, I think it's hard for me to articulate sometimes. Because- that's definitely I mean, I think that's a life. That's that's something that I mean, like I said, we're not like we don't put that out there that no, we I know are yeah. Christians. And I don't think that we need to, because I think that people who care about other people, people who want to live for something more than themselves, we we all get on board with each other in that. And right. um, and that's what it really is about. Yes. There is this awesome John Maxwell quote that um, I read the other day, and it was something to the effect of success is when you bring value to yourself and significance is when you bring value to others. Mm. And I loved that. And if people are like big John Maxwell fans, they're like, yeah, that's a famous. I, I don't know. It was the first time I'd ever seen it. So but, you know, I think there's this whole notion of the rat race and the hustle. And 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 I feel like a lot of the the entrepreneurs and the CEOs and the business owners that I talk to on this podcast all have they all share the same feeling I do. And it, it's like we all have this thing in common of it's not about pursuing success. It's not about pursuing the rat race or the hustle or, you know, the team no sleep. You know, you see that you yep. see a lot of other entrepreneurs and a lot of other business owners put out there because totally. that is not sustainable. And at the end of the day, what the common thread that I see business owners in this space share is that whole desire to live a life of significance and live a life of purpose and there's this you know obviously we want to separate our our personal work and our and our business work and and our personal lives and our Mm -hmm. business lives but if you're doing something for the for a greater cause for a greater purpose that fires a passion with inside of you then that's it's, good. You yeah. know, there is there is this crossover and it doesn't have to look like you're running yourself ragged and you're running your, you know, f- burning the candle at both ends, as they say, because, again, that's yeah. not sustainable. And but when you're really pushing and, and you're listening and you're open to living a life of significance and bringing value to others, that just it just does so much more for yourself, for other people. And and it doesn't have to look like, and that's the other thing, and I realize I'm kind of going on here, but it's, it's one of those things that it doesn't have to look like a shop, you know, like what you mm-hmm. are doing. That is what no. you are passionate about, and that's what you're called to do. But I always tell people, like, if you're a photographer, it can yeah. be in how you serve your clients or how you serve the community or how you serve other photographers. If you're an author... It can be how you serve people through your words. If you are a preschool teacher, it can be how you are raising up the next generation. Um, and if you work at a desk in a corporate job behind a cubicle, yeah. that's okay too. 
because you don't know what the person sitting next to you in the cubicle might need. You don't know how you can serve that person and change their life. I love that you're talking about just it's a life of service sort of. And um, I, I know that no matter what sort of political or religious background you come from, service is something that does bring value to every person's life. Right. And um, me and my husband were just talking the other day about what do you think it is that um, that other businesses like what makes so many businesses fail? And this is just a speculation. But I was like, I think it's when business when business owners think that their business is about them. Yes. When they when they don't want to participate in service, because if you're going to be in business, you're in you are in some kind of service. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that is. And there's a lot of things, a lot of factors that I think go into when a business fails. But and this is something I have talked about a lot on this show and a lot on my blog. And um, actually, I did a blog post on this. Um, well, this episode will air at the end of August. <laughs> this I did a blog post about about this in the middle of July. Um, and if I can remember, um, I will share a link in the show notes. Um, but it was talking about success who comes to the people who keep showing up. Yeah. And when I talk to business owners and entrepreneurs who feel like they have been successful. Um, and I don't, and let me say before, when I said before, like, you know, when you success is bringing value to yourself and significance is bringing value to others, I don't want you guys to hear that as I think success is bad. God wants mm-hmm. us to be successful. He doesn't totally. want us to fail. I think it's just, it's a heart mindset, if that, if you know what I mean. Totally. I mean, failure is something that is, it's imperative for success. Right. And we're going to fail over and over and over and over again. Lord knows I've failed a lot and I failed pretty massively. Um, (sighs) But the business owners I talk to who have found success just talk about how they just kept showing up. They Mm -hmm. just kept doing the work. They just did not let the obstacles and the hurdles and the failures get in their way. Right. And well, I, and that's why I speculate that that's why this idea or this like elegance restored was with I, I say I guess withheld from me until this time was because I needed to I needed to be in the desert for a while. I needed to learn patience and learn hardship and yeah. uh, and and keep showing up within the hardship. Yeah. And um, yeah, that is definitely definitely important. Yeah. You know, they they always say they're and I don't know who they are, but, you know, they, they the, the generic they always yeah. say that you get to know God in the valley. Mm-hmm. It's easy to pray, praise him on the mountaintop. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you really get to know him, when you really learn to trust and you really learn to persevere, that happens in the valley when things are hard. And, um, you know, it can be really easy for a business owner to have a setback like. Um, you know, whether it is a product that totally bombs or you get hit with an unexpected tax bill or you have an issue in manufacturing or you, you know, you have to fire somebody, whatever it is, like things are going to happen that are going to be setbacks. But instead of looking at them as setbacks, figure out, and I don't want this to sound too cliche, and I've heard this somewhere before, but Think of it as a set up for what is the next thing that is going to happen that's going to be great. You well, know what I mean? The, the beauty of being a believer is <laughs> that uh, I get to believe that no matter what happens, it's for my good. Right. It's all for my good. Right. And and so I can face those hardships and say, okay, in some way, this is good for my heart. I, I believe that and yeah. I know that. Yeah. So in the early, so you guys, when did you guys officially launch Elegance Restored? Mm, I believe we launched in March or April. Man, I should have had that figured out. Because <laughs> I, d- I know a lot I of did- times the, the timeline can be blurred. <laughs> well, right. Because I did a lot of like uh, pre-promoting before we actually launched because we were in a phase of like we. So when I first like wanted to start this, I came, I came to my husband and said, OK, my plan is this. I'm just going to start a little blog and I'm going to like get one product a week and like write about it and like tell people about 
how it's good and blah, blah, blah. And um, so I wanted to start really small and like grow really slow. <laughs> and my husband's like, uh, no, we're going to do this. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. So he gave me some funds and we started ordering product from uh, like sample products from different uh, groups. Mm-hmm. And we just ordered small amounts just to check because um, that's the other thing that we really believed in is having quality products. Right. Um, so because there's a lot of fair trade shops out there, but um, not necessarily on trend, not necessarily quality, not necessarily um, what a like everyday consumer wants to buy. And so that was our goal was to weed out all of this um, stuff that is not so great. And I think that's actually beneficial, very beneficial to those who are actually the artisans trying to make a product that people that they want to rise above poverty by their work and by their sweat and blood. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? They, so when you buy products from somebody just out of charity, you're not really, you are helping them, but it's sort of the feed a man for a day or teach him to fish. And so that type of thing, you know, charity is charity, but commerce is something that is sustainable. So yeah, we started buying those products and we, so there was like a month there where we were pre, we weren't quite open. I can't remember when they're actually, we opened up our shop. We just turned on the we went live like because we had so many people asking us about it like well what is this I want to see the website and blah 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 yeah. and it was we thought it was just family and friends <laughs> but uh, we went live and in the first five days we did over two thousand dollars in sales oh which, my goodness yeah I don't know if that's big or not but it felt big to us <laughs> that's amazing yeah and it's um, I mean it, it plateaued from there and then we've sort of been at a sustainable growth ever since and. Um, we just have been, I mean, we just can't believe what is happening. We just feel so blessed and, um, like just completely encouraged. So I love it. So can you talk about some of, share some of the brands that you guys carry and what kinds of things you were looking for in, um, the initial launch, you know, what kind of products do you guys carry and, you know, what, what were sort of the, I guess, benchmarks, if you will, that yeah, you were looking totally, for when totally. you were selecting the brands? Yeah, that's, I mean, I definitely w- wanted to talk about that because it, there's, we had to decide that before we started, like, what is our standard, you know, for um, being eco-friendly, for being uh, sustainable, for being fair trade, for being fair trade or fair trade certified or not. And um, as we looked out on the playing field of this sort of realm, uh, we, from our perspective, we saw a lot of brands that were that are really great brands that are doing sort of the I want to say they're setting the benchmark like at the the like top end of the spectrum. So like, let's say like uh, People Tree is the top end of the spectrum, and then like you know Forever Twenty One might be like down here or something yeah. on the other end. <laughs> I hope that's okay to say. <laughs> but uh, we we were like, where do we want to be in that? And where is right for us to be in that? And uh, we sort of saw that there's that there was a need. There's, there's all these great brands that are doing everything so well, and they are vetting every single thread that comes through their shop. And um, what that equals out to is a product that is uh, very high priced. And... Um, that's totally appropriate. Yeah. Um, but uh, we were thinking, you know, there's not really a product out there or a place out there for the masses to realistically be able to participate in fair trade purchasing. Yeah. And um, so where we are at is sort of somewhere in the middle where we, all of our products are, by our standards, fair trade. We we are not a fair trade certified shop, yeah. though much of our products are fair trade certified. Yeah. Um, but we mo- most of our clothing comes from the USA because we know what standards the US, US government puts on manufacturing and on labor laws mm-hmm. and whatnot. So we, we feel really good about that. And that creates an opportunity for us to offer a product that maybe not, maybe is not like you can't track every thread back to something that is eco-friendly and sustainable, which I love those things, but they do cost money. Yeah. And um, we've sort of feel like we've arrived at a place where these are things that uh, the masses can participate in. I think that that's really 
if for me, because I would say I'm in lower to middle income and mom. And to me, that uh, is really relieving to find a place where I can go, okay, I can still participate in yes. doing something that's good and putting my money in a place that's good, mm-hmm. but and not worry about it contributing to slave labor and sweatshops and right. whatnot. Um, but also not like completely empty my bank account on one top, you know? Yes, completely. So yeah, our standards are that it needs to be a uh, fair trade, which in our minds means that nobody is being oppressed in the manufacturing of that. Nobody that is sewing the garment is being, being forced to work or is being underpaid. Um, and yeah, I think that's, pretty much it but actually most of our products are doing even more than that which we love to find those and I just scour the internet for groups and actually I've even found new groups that are not even selling yet they're not selling their product because they had no they had no connection to a shop and so we've been making connections like that and creating a place of commerce for people that are doing good in situations of human trafficking yeah in such in so it's all over the world and it's we just ha- we're so excited to see what happens because we definitely see an opportunity for someday uh, opening our own manufacturing situation, possibly here in the U.S. We have a we have a like low income neighborhood just right down the street from us where there's a lot of refugees and a lot of low income families. And um, we would just love to see a, a sewing center there where we could like build into the lives of those people. I love that. I love when I hear people share their long-term vision and and where they see things going and just speaking out that God-sized dream. Of, yep, of, yep. That's, that's what we're all about. <laughs> yes, yes. Because I think there are so few people that do that. And yeah. I think a lot of times it's fear. It's fear that holds us back from saying those things. And you know what? When you do step out and you do take that what perceivably feels like a risk, it encourages other people. And it, mm-hmm. it that's what we've experienced, too, just in our own community, people coming to us and saying, wow, I'm just so inspired by what you're doing. Because, I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say we want to. I mean, our long term goal is we want to fund all of the adoptions. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. That's hashtag fund all the adoptions. Fund all the adoptions. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, is absolutely absurd. But. I mean, why why not put it out there? Like, why right. not think about the oppor- the possibility of a world without orphans? Mm, mm, mm-hmm. And I actually wrote a blog about that recently on our website, just uh, talking about just because something is not impossible isn't doesn't mean that we shouldn't pursue it because it makes a difference for the few that do receive aid and do receive a redemption from that. Right, right. You, just, I mean, you never know. You could be impacting. You know, if if the one life you're impacting is the, could be the next Billy Graham, or could be totally. you know the next Albert Einstein. I mean, you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like you could, you never know the type of person that you're making an impact on, and the type of life that they're going li- to live, and you know the the inventions that they'll create, or the oh, yeah. the people that they help. Yeah, you you know you could be impacting the future doctor that finds the cure for cancer. <laughs> you really have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, I was wanting to talk a little bit more about that part of it. The, yes, um, adoptions. Yes, please um, do. Be- because that, like I said when I was telling you my story, our heart was to adopt, and um, from my we we kind of felt like God literally said no, at least at that time. I still want to adopt my husband's like, oh, no more children. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had three in 13 months, so I can't blame him. <laughs> I understand. But, the, but then he bought me this 10 passenger van and I'm like, dude, what do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> A 10 passenger van? That's intense. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, he was like, well, it's for camping. It's, you know, when our kids are teenagers, we'll take all the kids with us and their friends and stuff. I'm like, whatever. (laughs) That is awesome. So, yeah. yeah, So tell me about where, you know, where that desire and where that passion came from and and, you know, how exactly that works. How exactly does the adoption funding portion of it work and you know if there's a somebody who's listening who is currently in the process of adopting you know how can they maybe reach out to you about getting some assistance anything like that yeah well so um we're kind of we we have a really 
I, it's not different. I don't know. We were really blessed to come in contact with the organization that we donate to, which is a family for every orphan. Mm. Um, and it took us a while. We we knew that we were going to fund adoptions. We knew that was like a plan at the very beginning. But for a while there, I want to say like two or three months, we didn't know where we were going to be donating to. We were like, oh, that's the plan, but we want to find the right place to do it. Right. And um, we came across this group actually with such a funny connection. It was so cool with a girl that's actually a girl that works for it. And her name is Chelsea and I'm Kelsey and she's a blonde and I'm a blonde. And like, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> anyways, it was really weird. And, uh, for a while I was like, well, that's too easy to just like, you know, make this connection. And, but then we vetted them and we looked into their group and basically what they are is they are not adoptions within the U S they are creating and facilitating adoptions to happen within international countries. So mm. Russians adopt Russians, Indians adopt Indians, Ukrainians adopt Ukrainians. Wow. And um, this is so, I learned so much about this, which I had no idea. Um, a lot of countries around the world, uh, their approach to the orphan crisis is very different than what we've come accustomed to in the U.S., where in our minds, the, the solution is to put children in families, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's not necessarily the perspective from a lot of groups around the world. Uh, there are uh, many, many, many orphans are put into institutions and they, they are raised in institutions. And, um, and please don't hear me that I'm saying this is uh, like a bad thing. It's, it's such, such a need. And, uh, you know, it's like, we're digging ourselves out of a hole that's so deep. And so mm -hmm. there's stages along the way. And I believe that the orphanage, uh, stage is, um, it is a place along the way of fixing the problem, but we we do need to pursue the next phase, which is getting children into families, um, because we they've done studies and found out this is a family for every orphan did these studies, to and they found out that children that aged out of orphanages, forty it doesn't matter whether they were like the best orphanage ever, the like tons of Christians, tons tons of help or tons of people that love these kids, it didn't matter. 40% of boys enter a life of crime, 50% mm. end up using some kind of drugs or alcohol, abusing them, and 60% of girls end up in human trafficking. Wow. wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, children, they need to be in a family. Right. Yeah. Um, to experience love, to experience value. It's, it's just what we were designed for is the family. Right. And, um, and that's why our, uh, we we see that aiding the family is really where we can affect change in poverty and in uh, social economic situations. I, I I can't remember where I read it, but I know that there's been studies like that something about like the when fathers are absent, that is what is the first like beginning of the of the digression of a society um, is yes. when the family starts yeah. falling apart. Yep. Um, so. Our, our uh, mission statement is we are committed to lifting up the families of the world because when families flourish, poverty drowns and freedom is at hand. Mm. Um, and that sort of touches on the three points that we are we feel really strongly about is the, the poverty, the orphan crisis, and human trafficking or, or human slavery situation. Mm. So yeah, a family for every orphan, uh, they uh, work with NGOs around the world to identify families uh, to foster and adopt, which they don't have many, many of them do not have those systems in place at all. They don't yeah. have like yeah. social workers, like they don't have that because they're not geared towards trying to, I, I think my, my friend Chelsea told me that in India, if you want to, or you, if you want to adopt a child, you have to prove that you are infertile. Mm. Um, there it's just, it doesn't make real great sense. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. um, and then, so they also provide pre-placement training for the families. They basically do everything that our social, uh, our, our, um, system here in America does, but they do it for the families over there. And then they provide post foster care and adoption support. And they also fund adoptions. Um, and what they did, uh, which I thought this is what sold me on the group. I was like, Oh man, that's it. Like, you know, how, how much does an adoption cost here in the U S uh, it's like something oh, like 30. A lot. A yeah, lot. a lot, a lot, big time. 
And uh, with a family for every orphan, the average cost to fund an adoption uh, internationally within international countries is $456. Oh, my goodness. I had no idea. Yeah. (laughs) No. Wow. I didn't either. And so it was like, okay, this is the most economical way. This is probably the least disruptive for the child to be to stay within their own country. Um, And yeah, I just was like, no brainer. We're just going to get on board with this to to get kids into families and um, hopefully change their trajectory. So it's sort of like we're fighting human trafficking at its roots, um, as well as on the other end uh, with the products that we buy from women that are coming out of human trafficking. So I, yeah, that is amazing. And I really honestly, I will admit that is not something that I really thought about or considered is what that might look like an adoption within a country. If you know what I mean, the way I'm wording it is probably weird, but just, yeah, I, I, that blows my mind. The the cost (laughs) difference. It's, it's been a whole new world to open up, open that up. And, and it actually, I, I wish, um, I, I mean, I would love to share more about that where, um, the we I had no idea as like a, a Christian woman that like I we we love to support uh, support we would love to support like uh, orphanages and everybody thinks that like oh we need to go down and help this orphanage and um, it's just so much more complicated than just um, oh, yeah. giving giving money you know and I'm sure you know that I'm sure oh, you yeah. talked about that yeah yeah um, so. Yeah, it's just, it's so tricky. I think that there, yeah, one of my friends was telling me that the doing in studies, they've shown that the main cause of the, of orphans, the, the main thing that is causing orphans in the world today is Christian funding. Whoa, what? Yeah. So let me, this does get a little bit like controversial. And I just want to say, I don't have any claims to believe I have a solution or that anybody has a solution. So none of, nobody involved in any of this stuff is doing bad things. Nobody is doing bad things. It's just, it might be, there's a better way for us to do things, uh, with more forethought and, um, uh, with more care. And, uh, so where did you, that, where did she like where did this stat come from because I've never heard that I've, I yeah. have heard of to, you know obviously the the topic of toxic charity comes up a lot um, yes. but I was always under the impression and from everything that I that I know that the number that the cause of orphans is usually access to jobs right well and I I mean you know how these like studies they're all right well some studies they're all done by different groups and they all right. have their different bias yeah. so that's why I'm saying I'm I that is just something that I it you do need to acknowledge it or we do we do need to acknowledge it that the answer isn't to just send funds over and let me just like sort of dissect that a little yeah. bit yeah um so when this is this is what we've been seeing or what a family for every orphan has been seeing actually i don't know if i want to bring them into it because i'm not sure if i like <laughs> learned this from them or if it was in my own like research but uh in cert- in certain situations this is what's happening and i think it's actually a lot of times it's in haiti at least i know this is happening in haiti at mm-hmm. the minimum that um we come in or some somebody comes in and starts an orphanage and there are genuine orphans there and right. those children come into this new building that is they're getting food every day they're getting health care they're getting education and they're also getting adopted by adopted by americans that are going to take them over to the u.s and educate them and give them a life where they can actually make a ton of money or right. from you know from their perspective and um what can happen if this is not like i'm saying this is not a hundred percent or anything but there's a potential for uh, that situation to become an exploitation where uh, we we over here go, wow, that orphanage is doing great things. There's real there's orphans over there that are getting care. And so we like send our money over there and the orphanage only needs a certain amount of money for each kid. Mm-hmm. And so in this in these situations of poverty, sometimes these orphanage owners can say, well, 
I'm going to offer that to families in this area and say, hey, I can take your child and I can feed them. You can still come visit them. Like, and they do. They they actually, I think this is like the story of Papillon. Uh, do you know who that is? They do paper they do paper beads, um, and they're actually pretty big. They were, um, they were like anthropology was selling them for a while or something. And um, their story was that they went to Haiti to adopt a child, and the child that they were adopting had a mother that came to visit him once a week, mm. and um, it was just like mind blowing for them. And so that's sort of the situation where our money can create orphans in a way. Um, it, it, because these women or p- parents, what, I mean, it can be both where they, they are in this di- dire situation where they don't have the ability to educate their kid. They don't have the ability to feed them every day. They go, well, we love our child and there's this opportunity for us to give them those things. Um, when actually what ends up happening is like what I was telling you earlier that statistically that child ends up in a not a good situation because they didn't yeah. get the opportunity to grow up with their family. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so me- I mean, it's all so complex. And oh, up. it I- is. It is. It really is. And it, it's one of those things that we could spend. You could do an entire podcast just uh, talking yeah, about that's this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, but I mean, not just. This. No, I know what you mean. And, and I think it's one of those things that the more that we can educate ourselves and the more that we can learn and ask questions and ask tough questions, uh, the better. And, you know, and that's why, like, I, you know, I have some friends that have adopted domestically. I have friends that have adopted internationally and they have all said the same thing about really, really, really doing your due diligence and finding out about the agency that you're working with and, Finding, you know, asking the tough questions about the orphanage and the, you know, I mean, there's so, yeah, 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 <laughs> it's a lot. And, and, it, and, and a lot of times, you know, that's why there are organizations like, I mean, I had um, my friend Erin Littleton from the Mighty River Project on the podcast back. I mean, she's like episode four, I think. And the whole reason that they started the Mighty River Project was because they, their goal, their hope, their prayer, their mission is to keep families together because Erin and her husband, Scott, had gone to serve as missionaries in Uganda and they were learning that this orphanage that they were working with, that a lot of these kids weren't actually orphans and that, that their parents just could not afford to keep them. And and it wasn't that the orphanage was exploiting them. It was a you know just a little different in that. No, their, no, their parents no, honestly, literally. You know, I know, I know what you mean though. There's definitely situations of of all these. No, things. I actually I don't. I was gonna say I don't want you to hear that that I'm saying that there's people that are exploiting like oh, intentionally. Yeah, 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 they no, all. No, no. I know they all have good hearts. Yeah. It's just uh, yeah, things get sticky and tricky and mixed up. Yeah. You know? No, and yeah, there. But there are. There's a huge problem. Um, I'm sure I know it's a problem in Haiti. It's a huge, massive, massive problem in Africa of kids who aren't actually orphans. And it's really just because their families can't afford to take care of them. And so it's just, yeah, it's so messy. It's so complicated. But the more that we can educate ourselves and, you know, I always say this after big disasters, you know, like after the hurricane that devastated Haiti, after the earthquake that devastated Nepal, it's so easy to just want to send money. And a lot of times I'm like, no, don't send your money. In fact, I mean, if you're going to send your money, send it to an organization that's like really on the ground doing stuff. But at the end of the day, like buy the stuff of the people that live there. Yeah. You know, support artisan groups because when you're employing these people and when you're buying their products that they make, that they're able to take that income and support their families, like that is life changing. That is when you really, really, really change. Well, it takes it from a a place of charity to a place of encouragement and And respect. When you're handing Mm -hmm. somebody, when you're exchanging somebody their product with commerce, you're you're saying to them, your product, your work, yourself, you are valuable. Yes. Not just, hey, I am the rich American. I'm going to take care of you. Right. You know? Yep. Yes. Oh, preach, 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 (laughs) preach, preach. Yes. 
Um, Kelsey, I just can't thank you enough for your passion and your drive and your willingness to, you know, you really, you take it at such a step further from, I want to do this business to help others to, I want to do it the right way. And I really want to make it accessible for consumers here in the United States while also really doing your due diligence to, you know, to support artisan groups internationally that and and domestically that are doing the right thing and taking care of their people and and like I said coming from a place of empowerment that is so important and so vital and I just I just thank you for uh for what you do and I'm excited to see the growth and I'm excited to see what you know what comes next and what's on the horizon and I would love love to see your vision come true of um of creating you know opportunity and manufacturing here in the U.S. I would love to see that come true yeah well thanks thank you so much for the opportunity this was really great for us as a startup for um just getting to even just the therapy of getting to talk through everything and um, have somebody else realize the vision and and be encouraging and um yeah that is so wonderful so thank you oh absolutely it's my pleasure okay so i know there was a part in there that you could relate to i know there were a bunch of different times where I just wanted to say, yes, me too, me too, me too. So I hope that this encouraged you and I hope that this challenged you. And I hope that you are going to leave this podcast ready and willing to do something today. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome, welcome, welcome. We have over 50 episodes in the archives that you can go back and listen to with so many amazing business owners. So I hope you check those out. And if you are a regular listener of the show, thank you so much for your support week in and week out. You have no idea how much it means to me. I would just ask if you would take a moment to head on over to iTunes or if you're on an Android device, you can go to Stitcher, Overcast, Player FM, any of those podcasting apps, Google Play, and just subscribe to the show. That makes sure that you get our show every single week and you never miss an episode. And if you wouldn't mind taking a moment to leave a review, that just gives me the feedback that I love to hear that helps me know what you are loving, what guests you'd like to see, or maybe a moment from a particular episode that has really encouraged you. I hope you have an awesome week and we'll see you next time. Bye.